Welcome back to The Stack. This week we speak with Philip Monk, CTO of Talon and a man with a name fit for the urban monasteries of the future. We talk about L2 and the projects that come after. How much traffic is too much traffic from Hacker News? How one goes about pruning events? And whether tis nobler to increase the size of the loom or to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous JavaScript hacks in the pursuit of a faster ship. But first, the news. Item Beer. DC Spark releases Twitter UV. Twitter UV is an extension that leverages Visor to bring tweets and unrolled threads into your Urbit. With permission, you can choose Urbit channels or DMs to post pictures of either of your favorite Kardashian sisters or one of their mortal enemies, the Bajoran sisters. Find the link to the extension on our website. Item Ikea. Tyrrell Corporation starts the sign-up process for onboarding companies interested in U.S. dollar payment rails for Urbit. USD payments will be included in the next major release of the Studio app, helping to further decentralize payments and, as Tyrrell says, repatriate them from cloud services like Stripe and Patreon. So if your business model includes accepting everyone's favorite shitcoin, you are in luck. I've already ordered my USD full node from Raytheon. Item Ooch. Escape has been released. Or Escape, it isn't altogether clear to me. What is clear is that we have another front-end experience for interacting with groups and DMs. The good people of Ukbar are building an L1 experience on Urbit that has required new tooling for DAOs. I like to keep landscape, excuse me, groups open at the same time as Escape so that I can have conversations with myself. As a brave Scotsman once noted, it's the only way to talk to my equal. This episode of The Stack is sponsored by The Dalton Collective. Founded by actor Sir Timothy Dalton, with his earnings from the 1997 movie Beautician and the Beast, after spelling his name wrong on a disastrous LLC filing which was the result of bad Mexican food-induced delirium, Dalton Collective, spelled D as in dulce, A as in asada, L as in langosta, T as in taco, E as in enchilada, N as in nogada, and collective as in colectivo is Urbit's premier purveyor of fine artisanal apps, such as Gora and Orca. A tip of the sombrero to Sir Timothy and all the men and women of Dalton who bring sustainability and sovereign-mindedness to the Urbit community at large. To find out more about Dalton, visit their splash page at dalton.org, or better yet, on the Martian web at tilde, Dalton forward slash collective. And now our conversation with Talon CTO, Philip Monk. Let's listen. So Philip, how, how, long, how long have you worked for uh, Talon? Um, so I first started working for Talon in 2014. 
I discovered Urban in twenty, you know, in twenty thirteen when it was on Hacker News that time, um, and then came out in May of twenty fourteen. Worked on uh, at Plon for a couple of years until twenty sixteen. Left, traveled for a little while, went back to another semester of school, worked for another startup, and then in twenty eighteen, uh, toward the end of twenty eighteen, came back to work at Plon again and have been have been working at it ever since. Just for, for those who may not know, what is your role at Talon? I'm the CTO of Talon. I still don't know if it's chief technology officer or chief, te- chief technical officer or what, but CTO. What part of Urban have you primarily worked on? Over that whole stretch of time, I've done I've done a bit of everything. My my primary focus is probably um, like kernel development i've done a decent amount of the runtime a lot in the uh yeah in the kernel itself and then i uh, have done a decent amount of user space development but not as much recently the only thing that i have never really done much of is actual front-end development um and then i mean back in the day we were a very small company and so there was you know i wrote a lot of documentation and i've done a lot of support and i've done a lot of everything that needs to be done. Um, I've written some blog posts and all kinds of stuff. But I, when, when I think of like, the, dev, the Google dev stuff. Yeah, yeah. I've done a lot of the of operations. I've, I've probably run more breaches than anybody else, uh, like network breaches. Um, oh, okay. But, you know, we, we used to breach, uh, you know, every week or sometimes more than once in a week, which is exciting. Um, was the last was the last network breach likely the last one, like the final one ever? I think yeah, uh, probably on the, on the at, at least in, in terms of being like a, a, a network wide breach. Um, right. The we we may make significant changes and significant enough that individual people may need to essentially export their data create a new peer and then re-import their data. Um, right. But I don't think that we're going, that it's really going to be feasible for us to say, okay, everyone has to do this at the same time. The, one of the reasons that we had you on this time is because, because you and I both responded to a Twitter user whose name is Imtron. I don't know what his name, well, actually I'm, I could probably look at it, but, oh, it's uh, Haudel Navser. He uh, had this nice Twitter feed or Twitter thread like at the end of the year last year. And some of the questions he asked, you responded to. And I just want to like, I would like to um, address a few of those. He said the one that you the one that you retweeted was uh, what happens at Talon. He, he wants to know what happens at Talon, what happens at the foundation. Uh, what's it like to work in a small team with big dreams? So I guess I guess I'll boil that condense that question down into can you sort of give us an idea of what it's like to work at Talon since you have the most experience or approximately the most experience yeah i mean i think the only person who's worked more well who who still works at Talon who who has worked more time than me is is Galen who you know started before me somewhat and then uh, has you know worked continuously um he's the ceo and he's not familiar yeah Working at Plon is, um, is like feels very different than it used to, um, and that's for a bunch of reasons. Part of that's because my role has shifted from individual engineer 
under Curtis uh, for a long time. And, you know, at, at that point, there was just, a t- you know, the, the, it was a team of five people and three of them were engineers. I was one of those. And then Anton and then Curtis. Um, and so that was very much. We have no like there's no clear path from here to any real kind of success, but we need to make this better. We need to like. Like there, 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 there was kind of a clear path of what needs to be built. And so we just worked on that. And I was very junior at the time. Um, and so I was just learning, uh, you know, how to, how to think like a systems engineer. Um, and so going from there to now, my, like a lot of my day-to-day is helping other people out. Um, it feels very different for me, like subjectively. Um, but also the, the company feels very different, I think, for everyone because we're, I don't know, I have look like 30, 35 people working full time, well, including contractors. And like the engineering team is about 20, maybe 25. I have to look again. And so some things have changed a lot, but some things are definitely still there. There's a very strong, like because of the way that we've hired people, we've hired people almost exclusively from our community, especially for engineers. Most of these people worked on Urbit stuff before they joined the company. That was true for myself as well. I I contributed some open source code well, you know, before joining Plon. Um and so you have a bunch of people who literally worked on this in their own time, many, you know, often for free, and then you give them a chance to work on it full time, which means everyone is excited about what they're doing and or at least excited about what the company's doing and they're often fairly opinionated they're the kind of people that are interested in urbit and that that came to it as a yeah as that kind of a project and that gives a lot of advantages for the company um it, it also means yeah that there's there's a lot of strong opinions and one of the challenges we have is trying to present or like trying to communicate a, a clear vision for how we want to build this stuff. And it's becoming more obvious that we need to do that. Not only within the company, the company's getting big enough that we, it's not just, you know, a few people that have worked in urban forever, but we also need to do that outside the company because that's, where we're hiring from, like I'm describing this all as you know from the perspective of the company, but I, th- I think it's also good for you know the project to get more information about um, about how we see Urbit becoming successful, what our strategies are, why why we take the tactical decisions that we make, um, and what were the other options that are often very reasonable options um, that you know could have gone either way. We, we chose one of them. You want to be able to explain to people why, uh, what, why we made the kinds of decisions that we did. So before, previously, you didn't, you've never had to code out loud or, or build in front of an audience, so to speak. And you're having to shift from working totally, I don't know, in your, in your cave, so to speak. And, and now you've got all these people, you have to justify decisions or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a bunch of reasons for that, right? Part of it is we're, uh, you know, a, 
pretty much completely remote company now. So you need to be a little bit more explicit about this stuff. It's not, you're not just going to hear it around the kitchen table. But also, it's because there's a capacity to work on Urbit that exists outside of Salon that never used to be there. It always used to be that explaining this stuff had very low return. And so it's hard to justify spending a lot of time on it because the only people who are actually going to do anything useful already worked at Klon. And you just needed to get people interested enough to want to work at Klon. And that was it. Uh, but the difference now is that, number one, the community is like of, of developers extends outside of Klon in terms of individual developers. And then there's also um, a couple of other companies that are working on Urbit outside of Klon that it's yeah, and then also the Urban Foundation, which has spun up, that it's easier for like that they have a capacity to work on stuff on 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 Urban stuff that will work much better if they understand what we're planning and you know the the, the reverse as long like you want there to be actual communication lines there and that becomes quickly hard to do. If you, if you try to do it point to point, and so it becomes easier to just say, okay, let's try and say publicly what our plans are. That's, that's a good thing to do for a whole bunch of different reasons, but it'll solve these acute problems as well. And it's a hard process to do that because I, I think people very often underestimate how hard it is to, uh, to communicate the right level of nuance for like, well, we're planning to do this and we're fully intending to do this, but things change. And I don't want to communicate too much certainty around this, but also I don't want to just not say anything because if I don't say anything and then it drops uh, and, and we're like, okay, we changed everything about how you build applications. And people are like, uh, I don't, like I had no warning. Now all my stuff doesn't work. And also I think the way you did it is wrong. I have this feedback about it. And uh, all of that gets much easier if you can communicate what you're doing ahead of time. What, what are the, what are the primary venues for that? I mean, obviously there's like uh, things like assembly, which would be very rare where you can actually get people done and actually like teach in wh what are you doing? Um, I could see groups on the platform as, as one way to do it. But, but what, what have you found are the, really the ways to reach out to people? So I'm still working on what are my favorite ways of doing it, but assembly is a good example of, of something that, that works well. And, and in the past meetups, when people were more geographically close to each other, meetups helped for some of that, at least for the people who were nearby. Um, because there's not a lot of great substitutes for face-to-face, -face, like, let's just talk about urban-related stuff. And you can come up, like, it's, it's much easier. For, for example, in a face-to-face -face conversation, I can say, you know, someone can be complaining to me, hey, this part's annoying. And I can be like, yeah, we're actually working to do it. And let me tell you, like, some details about that. And, you know, five minutes later, they're like, oh, okay, that's really cool. But they don't come away with, this is the official policy of Klon, that this is going to happen, this is going to change, this is whatever. But if you write that into, like, a blog post, then they do. Or even on, like, the Urban Twitter account, then they're like, this is what's going to happen. You've now committed to this. Oh, it didn't happen on the timeline that 
you said it was going to happen, that means you were late, which, you know, yeah, you, which, it, so it, it is much harder to communicate. Well, yeah, so anyways, we've done a decent job with the, like, formal level of communication. Not a great job, for sure. But we've done a really poor job of communicating just much more informally here's the things we're thinking about and twitter is a decent place for that especially if it comes from the individual people involved like if i don't think that the urban twitter account is a great place to communicate a lot of that stuff but uh i'm, I'm not super active on twitter but i do post you know some stuff when i realize like hey this i i can think of a way to communicate this clearly on twitter as just something that i've been thinking about that's been effective i am debating starting a blog uh using terrell's studio software to just be a voice of myself anytime that i'm thinking about something and especially like if if I'll often end up in a conversation on Urbit where I'm like, where I'm explaining something about whether what Juan is trying to do or what I'm thinking about or how I see a problem. And then I realize, oh, this thing that has been like, that is really clear inside the company is not clear outside the company. And so let me just write that down somewhere and make it very informal, mostly pretty short posts. Um, I think that that could be an effective way to do it. Um, and I've, I've even written up a couple posts for it, but my worry is that I may not end up having enough time to actually keep writing that stuff out there. But one way or another, that that needs to happen. Would have been the areas. Uh, so obviously, uh, and we'll talk about it later. But you're working on L two. Um, but kind of before that, what what areas have the most I'd say controversy or where do you think is the most sensitivity in the community of, okay, we are wanting to put a lot of energy into this part of development, uh, whether it's gal apps or whatever. Um, and we feel like there's that, like wh which areas are there the most friction do you think? Yeah, that that's a good question. Um, and that changes over time. I'm actually fairly surprised at, how little friction there has been around our L2 solution because it's a fairly unusual one. And there were originally a lot of people that were like, well, you really should use whatever their, their, their pet crypto project is like, ah, this is proof that you shouldn't use Ethereum classic because they have low fees. Um, or, you know, you should use Cosmos or you no. should use Solana. You should use whatever the flavor of the day is. And we've actually seen very little of, I mean, and, and part of that's because maybe, maybe L2 or our version of L2 is not really properly released yet. Um, but I haven't seen a ton of pushback on that. It's been, we, 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 we've done a more, I, I think we've done a better job of communicating why we made the decisions we made there than with most other projects. Um, and that, and that's, I think paid a lot of dividends even just already an area where, where there is friction or at least potential for friction is um, the way that 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 gall apps are developed, especially in the context of landscape. Um, and like the the question of graph store is one that comes to mind. 
So we use Graph Store for chat, for well, for all the stuff that's in landscape, pretty much. Um, and we've pushed it as you should use this for all your social data. And I'm, I've basically come to the conclusion. I mean, it and you know the ship hasn't sailed, but the the sense within Plon is basically Graph Store was a good experiment, and we learned a lot from it. But the next iteration of this stuff needs to look pretty different than Graph Store, and I would not tend to build stuff on top of Graph Store as it is, um, un- unless it needs to like ex- unless it needs to interact with landscape as it is now. And it's not that hard to, to do. But if, if I'm building an app from scratch, I would tend to use a bespoke uh, data storage mechanism rather than trying to push everything into Graph Store. Um, and that's like, I, I feel almost uh, nervous saying that even now because I know that there's significant disagreement about that uh, across the urban community. Some agree, some don't. There, there, there's a relatively common pattern of people being like, Graph Store is cool when they read through the docs. When they start getting into it, they're like, okay, it's still cool. And then a month later, they're like, Graph Store sucks and I never want to use it again. So that's the kind of thing that we have hesitated to communicate about publicly because, number one, we don't have a replacement for it yet. I think that we that our content distribution project that we're working on this quarter is like going to get us heading in that direction. So we can't just say, okay, what you were doing there now do it this way. Um, and it's also, it's also potentially controversial. There are, there are people who still think that, that, that graph story is a really strong way to go forward and then, and uh, or, or, or that it can be modified in relative, in not very intrusive ways to, to work well. And so, I think that we need to communicate better how we're seeing this um, and also say that in a way, and I'm not even sure that I'm doing the best job of right now, in a way where it's like, well, this is Talon's opinion and we're going to do it this way, but other people might do it different ways. And if they want to continue maintaining graph store and doing it their way, like that's also fine. We're not actually saying nobody's allowed to use this. We're just saying strategically or tactically, even we think that this is probably the wrong way to go forward. We're going to piss some people off with that one, I'm sure. Yeah, and uh, there, you know, I'm I'm happy to discuss that one, for example, more publicly or like more, uh, you know, in in chats or whatever. Well, uh, what did I mean? So so. Um what did graph store enable? Cause I, I think I remember when it came out, I mean, it was like a pretty big development, right? So, and, and that's fine. I mean, like, you know, some yeah. things are the right tool at the right moment and then just whatever, you don't want to be stuck on that path though. Right. You don't want to have path dependency because it was the right tool at that right time. Right. So I, I, I don't think it was a mistake to, develop graph store and, and use it as heavily as we have. Um, there are some people who, who do think that like, who, who were kind of always against graph store and now they're like, Oh, well, if Philip thinks that should've now, to me. Should, yeah, exactly. Right. Should have listened to me. Um, and I think that we learned some really good things from graph store. And so the, the strongest things that, that, that graph store did is, um, it, 
it, so the, the data model of having a, like your actual data and then this update log, which you, you see versions of that throughout the system has worked out, I think, really well. There were a lot of bugs in the past that had to do with basically you'd have all the updates up like so you'd have all the chat messages but you're like missing a few here and there because there was you know some off by one error or uh some some latency between when you ask for the backlog and then when you ask for the new messages and if any messages happen between those two then you miss those or something like that um and Graph store, maybe not on its initial release, but before too long, solved virtually all of those um, by being disciplined about saying, okay, our state is a pure function of our of, of our update log. And if we want to change anything about that state, we can change what that function is, or like there's like there was some really good discipline around that that yeah that solves some really hard problems. Another area where that worked out really well is because you had all these different, you know, what used to be all these different apps, chat, publish, links, using the same data model meant you could solve the like finickiness of subscriptions in one place and then everything would have reliable subscriptions. So one, one of the biggest problems with, with Gaul right now is that subscriptions are very stateful, very, they feel fragile. The, it, 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 if like, you have to be very careful about what happens when a subscription ends, do you need to automatically restart it? Do you need to, you know, how, how do you get the backlog properly for that? And we had ideas about that and recognized the problems before, but it, it like, it was through the discipline of graph store that we came up with general solutions for that. And while I, I think right now we understand those patterns well enough that we could do those in bespoke apps, um, I don't know that, you know, that, that we would have that we would have developed those patterns quite as well if we had just had to be trying to solve this flakiness in a whole bunch of different apps separately. It would be great to dive into L two, yeah, um, and what that has and you know why and what was the i know that you spent a lot of your own time on coming up with potential solutions so sort of how you landed on the this one um and what the what the future then ought to look like yeah there's there's a lot of ways to try and do something that's like a blockchain and is pretty cheap and I spent much of, let's see, I mean, maybe four or five months basically trying to find a solution that I felt good about. The, I, I, I tried out a lot of different projects, talked with a lot of people from those projects, and ended up having to answer, like, ended up answering a bunch of different questions. Um, so, for example, one question you could ask is, well, what's the real solution to blockchain scalability? And that's actually a different question than what should Urbit use right now to make to make it cheap to send planets to people. 
I came to the conclusion that you you need a real technological advance that for, that virtually all these projects don't really have, or at least that where I'm really uncomfortable with their trade-offs, with the exception of uh, everything involving zero knowledge proofs, basically, either as roll-ups or as like a validity or something. And so I think that that's going to be what what makes blockchains actually able to scale is these succinct zero knowledge proofs because we have this issue where you're trying to get everyone to talk on the same network and that's linear unless you zero knowledge proof in which case it's logarithmic and we can do logarithms of of lots of transactions and it'll be fine um and i i think that'll be true even if like people usually associate uh, zero knowledge proofs with Ethereum, but I, they're like I think whoever ends up winning, it's going to be via zero knowledge proofs, and they're not they're certainly not tied to Ethereum. However, I don't think that any of the existing projects uh, in that space are mature enough, and and in particular were mature enough at the time that we started working on the L two stuff, uh, which has been you know just. I don't know, 10 months ago or something like that. And I was worried that it might be that it, it would probably take them longer than they were planning to get to the level of maturity that we needed. Um, and that in the meantime, there was a lot of risk that they would either not get to where they needed to get to, or that it would take years longer than they planned. Because I've been around the blockchain space for not real long, but since 2017 is when I really got into it. And you can see a lot of, uh, like, and I've just seen countless projects end up taking a lot longer to become mature than, than they planned. And I don't even blame most of them. I, I think in a lot of cases, it's just that the problem is harder than they anticipated. Uh, but it doesn't matter why for us, what matters is we need to not get to the time that we are right now and and we, our, our goal was to do was to release l2 months ago so like, there's been some delay but even now like it's hard to communicate how convincing people are when they're like okay we're almost ready for for what you need and we will be within like a couple of months so you should just build on our stuff and it'll be fine and you just you know work on your front end stuff and then look it up and it'll work fine and it's just and actually 10 months later, they're not ready. And I don't know that they'll be ready in the next year. Um, they're, they're ready for the stuff that they really care about. They've made serious pro, uh, progress, but it's not ready at the level of generality that we need. And it's not ready with the sort of trade-offs that we need. So w one of the big trade-offs uh, that I understand where they make and is probably the right decision for them to make is uh, starting out with stuff being a lot more centralized. Um, commonly, it, it'll be that you know you have a whitelist of provers for you know in a zk rollup um, or in a in like an optimistic rollup or in an alternate L1 or something. You'll have some small set of people who are able to uh, to re, you know to upgrade the code to, to change the code. And realistically, if they stopped working on this for whatever reason, they ran out of money or ran into legal trouble or they had, uh, you know, co-founder conflicts or something, then the project would stop. And that's really not an acceptable option for us. Um, 
we we really can't build on a project that's that's going to go away potentially suddenly in not too long. Um, and so like, you just don't want to have that kind of dependency where you're just like, I hope someone else builds what I need and sticks around. And I hope that I remain important to them, which like, that's one of the big ones. It's just like, well, if you're always at the top of the market cap list, then you'll always be important to them. But otherwise, maybe you will, maybe you won't. Um, and so you don't want to have that kind of dependency. And so what's the, like, the nicest part about the L2 solution that we did choose is it's really simple. It's unlikely, like from a technical perspective, it's unlikely to go really wrong. Um, the security guarantees are obvious basically as long as we implement it right and it doesn't depend on anyone other than that you know ethereum itself has to keep going but ethereum itself i'm i'm pretty confident first of all we've already depended on that and i'm pretty confident that that's going to keep going one way or another for quite a while whereas some l2 or some alternate l1 i just constantly see those show up and disappear or totally pivot and uh I would not feel good about that. Whereas with this, it's just, I mean, as long as it's still sending transactions, then we're good. Do you see a future where we're no longer dependent on Ethereum? Do you hope for that future? I, I don't know. A lot of people are really strongly like, yeah, Ethereum is a temporary thing. It this really, really, really needs to be in-house, and I understand that perspective. It's for for a lot of the same reasons that I just said. You you don't really want to be dependent on another entity. You don't want to be dependent on another software stack. It, you know, Ethereum is not exactly a model of of good software development, um, and so I would like to get away from all of that, and so. In a sense, the answer is yes. My hesitation is that I think building is that I, I think it's a hard problem and it is not the core competency of the team that is assembled at Flawed, right? Um, and those are somewhat like contingent factors and I, I'm I'm a very like my uh, it, it it is hard for me to even like hope or think very hard about something that I can't like clearly visualize my mind as like this is how I would do it. Uh, there's a lot of you know when something seems hard or or risky, my mind interprets that sometimes as this isn't uh, as good of an idea or something or like not as good of an idea, but it's, I, I have less of an emotional, this would be great if I don't have enough faith that it's going to like, that, that it's, it's going to happen soon or something. Um, or that I, that, yeah, I can't visualize exactly how it happens. Um, and so, yeah, I, there are some, really uh, bad parts of, of the Ethereum ecosystem that I would like to avoid, especially just the 
the, the quality of, of all, the, all the, the technical parts of it is pretty bad. And then also the user experience of it is pretty bad. Um, but I don't trust very many people to try to improve on that because whenever I look, you know, on Twitter, people are like, Oh, this is what's bad about Ethereum. This is what's bad about Bitcoin. This is what's bad about whatever. I just think that almost always they're wrong. Um, that the, there are actual things that are bad, but you're not actually looking at, at what those are. So if it could be done, uh, if it could be done well, I think that there's absolutely space for a much better, a much better blockchain than Ethereum. And we need some kind of a blockchain for this, like for, for our identity, because that's the only way that you can have a permanent identity that, um, uh, that isn't managed by a central party. There's you know, something that you can actually own. And so like, as a prediction, I don't see very many people who are working on the actually hard problems there. I think that if everything stays with proof of work, you also have this thing where you need to, you need to be on the biggest chains and I don't see anyone dislodging uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum anytime soon. Um, if proof of stake pans out and, and there's, you know, the wrinkle here that, that Ethereum's talking about going to proof of stake, um, then, then maybe it becomes easier to um, to imagine building something on like on Urbit or you know something that that, that is, is a better match for Urbit. And I'm I'm pretty agnostic uh, like as far as what I think about proof of stake. I'm not super against it. There's some parts of it that are kind of worrying, but I'm a very conservative person technologically, and so I'm very much like. I see why you think this is a good idea. Makes sense. But I just kind of want to see it happen. You are a, uh, a Galaxy owner? I am. Tug? Yep. We are, so, so, and we, we say that filially because as a, as a group, Urbit Asia, Sortug is under your tutelage. Mm, yeah, I, I think I remember noticing that at some point. Um, that was the first time we decided to take the leap and spend real money. We, uh, the five, five of us did it, split the cost up because we, we weren't sure. And then a couple of months later, maybe less than a couple of months later, then we all decided we had to have our own. No, I think it was weeks. I mean, cause it's uh, like, maybe, yeah. you know, it, it's like cocaine, you know, you can't just buy one. And especially at that time, looking back, um, I wish I'd bought more. Yeah. I wish we had, yeah, <laughs> you know, um, but, uh, no, I, so what, I mean, um, how has, how have you felt about the, that kind of galactic Senate sort of capability? Um, I know that there was some recent action because of issues with the, um, rap star contract and they gave, you know, uh, I guess they had perhaps unbeknownst to the Senate um, given some power to change the contract. And there was a problem identified there, but um, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I, I could talk for a long time about everything that you just, that you just mentioned. Um, I feel pretty good about how 
the Galactic Senate has has been working out. They've been working with each other, and I think that the people involved are very like basically that they're predominantly very like serious and responsible people who really really care about Urbit, and many of them have been around Urbit for a long time, um, and it's pretty immune to. Uh, to a lot of the like retail hype that ends up in a lot of um, governance discussions for other for other uh, crypto assets, I I think that it's a it's a pretty good fit for the kind of project that Urban is and the kind of people that are involved with it. There's not, I mean, for 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 pretty much any of these tokens, there's not a ton of stuff that that you know that that governance tokens can actually do um and very often they're issued just as a way to to make money and galaxies are like have, have never really been that way they're they're the most of their value has been in the stars under them we don't think of it as like oh yes you can go buy a vote as though if you have enough votes you can like make money or something it, it's more of a i don't, I don't sacred responsibility is quite the right way to say it but it's more of just like well occasionally there are things that need to be done you actually can't you you can't actually get away with having no governance if that term is meaningful and so it's either going to be informal or formal and if it's informal it still exists and there's various risks with that and so if you make it somewhat formal by saying okay these are the people that we're saying have the authority to make these decisions even though most of that is uh is just a claim to authority that uh is only as true as people believe it to be true um then you're you you have a that that gives you a, a group of people with a defined process to be able to make a decision potentially quickly about something like L2, where we say, okay, yes, this is the way that we want to do it. They, uh, the, the, these are the ways that we want to like upgrade a technical aspect of the system to make things cheaper um, and maintain the, like, the spirit of property rights and or whatever, like spirit of orbit in, in how that works, make sure that we're not like taking someone's ships or something like that. Um, the, the rap star example is another good one. Um, that's, I mean, the, you know, rap stars is not like that. That wasn't like a project sponsored by the galaxies or anything. Also wasn't a project sponsored by Klon. Um, but there were some people involved with that, uh, that, um, that decided that they thought the galaxies would be a good repository for the the power to upgrade the contracts um, because the the, the, the the people involved with building the, the contracts themselves didn't want that power didn't want to like and if they just uh, like if they had it for themselves and they remained anonymous then 
people would be hesitant to use rap stars because they could get upgraded and do whatever. Like someone could steal the stars. And so you wanted it in some, some place that had legitimacy within the community um, as sort of a default governing body. Um, and people who, who were invested enough in urban itself that they weren't going to, they weren't going to uh, have a super short term perspective on what to do. Like most galaxy owners hold more stars than at least than were in the rap star contract at that time. I don't know how many are in the rap star contract now. Um, and so they're not like they're they're not going to be susceptible to this like like let's argue it all out on Twitter and then like you know these mob social dynamics that you that you have in a lot of contexts. So that I think worked well for that particular issue where there was a like moderate vulnerability in the rap stars contract and there was most of the discussion within the galaxy group on, on urban about that was, um, was about like, was people who were surprised that the authors of rap star had given them that power to upgrade the contract. And then the question of basically whether, whether we should use it, whether we should use that to upgrade rap stars to take away that power from, from ourselves um and various questions around that um but i think it was a good example of how having a small group of people who are, who are dedicated who are designated to have that power uh can be very effective in not too different of a way as, as it is where like it, you know when bitcoin has had a couple of issues uh you know, the chain has stopped once or twice back in the day. You have just the core developers. We go make a fix, push it out to everyone. Everyone would, would do it. You had implicitly, uh, you know, a, a pretty small set of people who could make those kinds of decisions. And so making that a little more formal, I think, has some advantages. Because as Bitcoin later on, you could see it, uh, it got bogged down in a lot of technical decisions that uh and, and that ended up being as in my view as a significant like a significant cost for for them as a community i i think uh with with hope uh l2 is going to show up relatively soon i don't i'm not going to put you on on the spot for like a timeline uh because it'll probably be potentially be later than any date you come up with anyway but what's the thing what's the what's next on your what what big project is next uh once you feel comfortable moving on you know primarily from l2 once that's once that's out what do you what do you want to do next yeah so we i mean we have a bunch of different projects that we're working on i the, the one that that jumps to mind immediately when you say that because it's kind of in in that sweet spot of aggressive and far-reaching, um, but also very like, but but also has been largely de-risked, um, is something that we've been calling content distribution or remote scry or a few other. We've given it a bunch of different names, um, 
namespace maximalism is is another useful name for it potentially um <laughs> and is is this idea of saying so, so one so one advantage that centralized services have that decentralized systems have to deal with is if you have a relatively large amount of data and you want to you want to send that from one person to another in a centralized system it's like you know you want to gift a game to someone on steam it's just like there's an id that gets assigned to them and that's like that's very easy from a technical perspective um but if you want to uh send someone a game that's on like a disc or something maybe you, you've ripped it from a disc but it's 70 gigabytes now that's 70 gigabytes of of network traffic um they have to be a bunch of discs i guess but you know that's just how big games are now um and if you have a bunch of people trying to do that to a bunch of other people for example you have a bunch of groups out there and people are in some of these groups not all of them but you know and they're downloading large amounts of backlog or something or uh, you know at some point you're sharing podcasts or something uh it's quite slow like it, it's you end up with a lot of, of network traffic if you have to say the host has to send this data to everyone involved um and some of that might have to get proxied through galaxy or stars or whatever um and there's a, a variety of solutions to this, but the the basic solution that you want, ideally, and what we're pursuing, is to make each of those requests very cacheable. So you want to say not just like, "Hey, I'm in the middle of talking to you, so that thing you just said, send it to me." That's not a cacheable kind of request. What you want is to to say. Okay, please give me the backlog for this channel up to um, message number X or up to date X or something like that. And if you say, yeah, give me up to, up to message number 10,000 and everyone else who joins the that um, that group makes the same request, then you can cache the answer to that and respond to it immediately without going into your event loop without even necessarily getting all the way to your ship you could have intermediate caches that uh you know that that, that function as more like a cdn you know something near the edge of the network that says okay everybody's asking for this thing maybe everybody's asking for this ota and so i'm just gonna like hold it here and every time i see that request i'm gonna respond to it and so that can make uh can can make it much much faster to to get content over the network um and much much cheaper and and would let us like i think that's one of our primary scaling constraints right now in terms of the number of people we could have on the network is we might be able to have a lot of people on the network but they're not going to but not in the same groups because it's too much of a burden on the host but this would reduce the burden on the host by a ton um so the basic idea is make all those requests, use the namespace to, to refer to a specific piece of data, then cache that everywhere. So I, I think uh, just two two technical things. Um, one is log pruning um, yeah. and just the, the size of uh, peers. 
And then the other is, I think, for the first time, starting to see more questions about the size of the loom. Um, and, uh, what you're thinking is about, obviously there's, uh, there are reasons that it was set at two gigabytes originally. Um, but really what led to that constraint or is it a constraint and what, where do you see it going? Yeah. Yeah. So, so first the, um, event log pruning, that, that feels like, I mean, it just, it, it, it needs to happen and we've been planning to do it for a long time um we started to do it and then ended up getting distracted by basically wanting to refactor a lot of that stuff because a lot of that code's quite old and it was obvious how we could make it better um and, and we came up with something, something much better that i'm uh that i'm excited has happened but is uh we haven't we still haven't gotten to actual event log pruning and so you know we're actively working on that. Um, and we should definitely like, we should definitely just do that. It's, it's not even that particularly hard of a problem. Um, it just has to be done. The size of the loom question is, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to approach it. So the simplest way to say, okay, we have, you know, to, to get rid of the two gigabyte limit is to, so the, the reason two gigabyte limit exists is because we have 32 bit pointers. We use a couple of bits uh, as tag bits. And so that leaves two gigabytes of addressable memory. Um, you could extend that to be 64 bit pointers, which would let you use as much, just about as much memory as you want, but has the disadvantage that everything now, all, all your pointers are twice as big. Most of your data is pointers. And so, first of all, you're using immediately twice as much memory. And then also, everything's a bit slower because your caches feel like they're about half as big as they should be. And you're just like, everything's slower. This is why, in even in like uh, in, in JavaScript, in the browser, in the V8 engine, they, they do a bunch of tricks to try to keep their pointers 32 bits. Um, and we should copy some of those. Well, or at least that's one option is, is, is copy some of those tricks and try to get it to, to eight gigs or 16 gigs or something like that. A more general solution is to abandon the loom, it, like as a, as a memory allocator scheme altogether, which I'm more and more inclined to do that. Um, in particular, we have a project that, that Edward Amson is working on um, that's still like he's, he's working on a prototype. So there's, there's a lot of ways. So it's 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 fairly far off before we, we use it in, in real life. And there's a lot of ways that that could go wrong in the meantime. But um, it uses a, a totally different way of representing nouns that would have... Uh, that, that would not have a two, two gigabyte limit. It would have kind of a, a natural way even to uh, page out certain large nouns to disk so that you wouldn't even have to have all of it in your, in your RAM. You could have stuff on disk until you refer to it, potentially. Um, it also has some nice 
like it it becomes more obvious how you can do parallel computation of at least some things which right now we can talk about doing but would be really hard to do with our existing runtime um and there's various other advantages of it. I, I think it would also be faster so if if that project pans out then that'll answer a lot of questions all at once um and i'm i'm really hoping that that's how that ends up working out um otherwise then we have to you know go look at at our options for saying okay maybe maybe we can ex you know play some tricks to extend it to 8 or 16 gigs or maybe we just need to bite the bullet and have 64 bit pointers bunch of you know bunch of different options there but uh it is it is true that it's becoming more more pressing because in the past and even to some extent now the answer if you got close to 2 gigabytes of memory usage was never you need more memory it was always something is wrong with your ship it's storing duplicates of stuff or it's like there isn't two gigabytes of data on the network and so you should like that should not be happening um and so you want to solve those you don't want to just you know use more and more memory um but we're getting closer to where there's actually just even just in text a lot of stuff on the network and it's also becoming more obvious that it would be really nice to have um, I mean, it was always true to some extent, but it's becoming more acute that it'd be really nice to store media, like images, podcasts, whatever, um, on on Urbits, and then that's going to use up your, your memory a lot faster than than plain text. So that's where I'm at with that. What is a what is like a a um, storage solution for Urbit? I mean, I don't commit to anything, but what do you think that that looks like? Is it going to be like uh, an IPFS thing or something? Um, so I think that there's a couple of ways it can happen depending on what pans out. So uh, I, there's there's a project called Urban LFS uh, that someone's working on as a as a grant, I believe, um, and that's exciting to see because given the constraint of the loom as it is now, that's probably your best answer. Um, where you you know your your star probably is running this Urban LFS server um, and you're able to without doing anything you know at the command line or whatever you're just like okay i'm going to use my stars hosting and whenever i upload a file it's it's going to go there and then I, I get a link and i can use that link for whatever um that works fairly well uh for a lot of use cases i just blanked on what your question was I feel like I <laughs> what is a uh what is that what do you think a, a, a um storage solution for for urban looks like and so you're right you were telling me about one kind right um another way to do that is to do it actually in urban so if we can make a runtime that can hold a lot of like that that can address a lot of memory then you can say okay everything is inside what we would currently call the loom um and that could be true for four gigabytes of data or for, you know, hundreds of gigabytes of data. And then at, at that point, 
well, in theory, everything is in, you know, with, 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 with Urban, everything is addressable in the same, in the same namespace. So it's, you pretend as though everything is in RAM, you would actually essentially swap it out to disk. Um, swap right now is really slow uh, whenever you end up having to use it. And so uh, you want to be careful about that. You don't want to slow down your whole system just because you're storing big stuff. Um, but I think that we would have basically enough legibility into what these large nouns are to recognize, okay, here's the things that I can put on disk. And here's the things that I really need to keep in memory because they're code or something that, you know, if, if that goes on a disk, it's going to go really slow. And so you could even like manually tag like, okay, anything that is a, you know, that is a media file in clay that you can put on disk unless it unless you're actually referring to it right now and everything else you don't um that general solution it, yeah it's just well just put it in your bit which our runtime can't handle right now but if our runtime can handle it then yeah that's definitely my preferred solution what about uh i, I actually i have a, a question that's sort of um personal for us uh i mean a technical question uh which is what has to happen for um, Urbit to be a uh, uh, so the web server for Urbit is Air, right? Am I pronouncing yeah. it right? Yep. And I, I'm I'm interested to know uh, what what does one or what what has to be done there for it to be able to handle. Uh, large large numbers of web connections so that you know it goes from i i actually haven't tested this out so for instance like if 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 you install the studio app um i have no idea what the limitations on connections to your orbit from the outside world are or what has and, and we may hopefully yeah. we're going to be like testing this out in the real world and and breaking it in the real world soon uh, right. So I'm just I'm just interested. Like, what is it, what has to be done there, or how, how? Maybe if you have any idea, how many connections can it successfully <laughs> handle? I don't yeah, know. If that's I, a, a question that can be answered easily. I'm I'm really curious what the answer to that is right now. Um, we we used to do that back in the day, in you know like 2014 to 2017 ish time frame. Uh, well, 2014, I mean, 2015, 2017, we would hosted urbit.org from an urbit um, and we'd take like Hacker News hits and uh, that all worked through the magic of Nginx. Um, we basically tried to make it as cacheable as possible and then use Nginx as your cache. And like it worked, but it was not a great experience. Um, very often, like, if, if you went to any page, because our, our, our cache invalidation scheme was something like invalidate all your caches every hour so if you went to any like docs page you'd be so slow because probably no one went to that particular docs page in the last hour if you went to the home page you're probably fine um so all of those like back then generating the the, the site was really slow anyways it, it would be several seconds if it wasn't cached outside of urban um nowadays if you use something like studio like Presenting that static site is actually quite fast. You don't you don't even notice really that it's on an orbit. It's just like okay, that's how fast it takes. Um, 
but I don't know how many simultaneous people you can have uh, doing that. I'm, I'm, I'm curious what that limit is. I don't think the limit's super high. My guess is that a hacker news hit would would become a problem. Um, and most people would, would not get it, like would have it be either very slow or the connection wouldn't go through all the way. Um, the, the solution to that is again, caching, but the, the problem with caching, of course, is that you never know when you need to invalidate something, like when something has changed and so you need to update your cache. And so our answer to that is use the namespace, make sure that you give everything a name. And once you give it that name, it's never going to change. And so if you have that uh, internally in, in, in the system, then you can put that cache in the runtime, like in the the air runtime driver. Um, and that can respond very quickly it, in a lot of ways, similar to the way that an Nginx cache would work. Um, and if you want, you can even put Nginx in front of this, but you should, you probably shouldn't need to because um, we'll just say, yeah, everything, every request to the degree that we can um, is going to be totally cached in the runtime and it's not going to hit your event loop at all. And so you can be, you know, you can be using that ship to do anything else. It could be downloading an OTA, installing an OTA. It could be chatting, it could be whatever, and it shouldn't be impacted by other people um, viewing a site that's hosted on it, because that's just all getting handled in the in the runtime. Um, you know, unless you actually update that post, then yeah, you, you know, then there'll be a cache miss, and the runtime will ask your your ship for the data but that'll happen once um, and at that point we should be able to handle i don't know what the actual numbers will be but something like a hacker news hit should be e easy to, to handle which hacker news back then at least was like ten thousand people in an hour something like that um it's so like that's kind of like that that should be definitely doable with this approach. Um, and if we want to go much above that, then I don't know. Then you just got to dive in and see what's, what's falling over, what's going slow. What do you want to do? I've, I've got a goal now in life, which is to get my store knocked out by a, a hacker news hit. Yeah. I just con a bunch of 10,000, um, you know, a concentrated hate from hacker news. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How can you specialize in that? So <laughs> that's the that's the dream. All right. Um, let me uh, let me ask a, a last thing, which is: um, Are you are you at all developer constrained, and uh, do you have any kind of like developer wants, needs, desires that if we put that out into the world, maybe they show up at your doorstep? Yeah, I mean, when I when when I think about okay, what's the you know the fastest way to make Urbit succeed? Um, part of me runs to like, well, there's just a lot of stuff to do, um, and that's and you know, if we have more developers, we can do it faster, which is true uh, to an extent, but also. 
we have to be able to like sort of effectively deploy developers and we which which means basically you need a certain maturity of your organization uh and like uh, you know a certain amount of structure to it that we have historically uh not done because we've been small enough that it wasn't necessary and when it's not necessary then it's it's just useless overhead um and so we're we're in the process of of remedying that one of our one of our focuses in the last couple of months has been restructuring things to uh to make it more more legible within the company who's working on what and what our longer term priorities are i've been writing out roadmaps for for different areas of our of of our work or, you know a roadmap but it's like a technical roadmap and product roadmap and roadmap for hosting and trying to turn those into something where, where we can say oh okay well clearly what we need is to hire uh, a runtime developer you know a, a c guy i do think that's probably one of our high priorities um is to get one or two more of those but like you also need to be able to compare that versus who kernel devs are always useful and then like javascript developers you, you know we we keep hiring javascript developers and then they learn hoon and they never want to touch javascript again so um you end up we end up sort of perennially short of those um although we've, we've just hired another guy and i'm excited to have him started and uh, you know we're working on some of that um i one of the things that I've been trying to do this month is with the new structure that we have, um, try to come up with, with a list of hiring priorities and I haven't finished that yet. So, um, I don't want to like commit to saying, well, we can hire this many people and this is, uh, you know, the, the ones that are going to be the highest priority. But if I had to guess, I, I think that, that runtime people, are going to be super valuable. And then, I mean, probably another JavaScript person, maybe two. Um, in the, like, this is in the, in, in the short term, in the, like, six months to end of the year time frame, I mean, just everything. We just need to grow everywhere. As, as long as the company doesn't, like, collapse into chaos, we just need to hire everyone who is, you know who can who can be useful in urbit because there's lots of stuff to do okay i i should put out there to the people the um the company is not collapsing into chaos as far as we know yeah galen <laughs> don't worry yeah no it it is not right now um which uh i think that that like is always a risk of a company at the size that we're at growing at the rate that we're growing, plenty of companies grow faster, but um, you always have to be like, okay, how is the organization doing? And I, whenever I end up talking about that, go ahead. Other companies aren't changing the world. Yeah. And, yeah, we, de and yeah. we depend on you. you. You have to survive, you know? We, have, we send right. const constant good energy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we just have to take all that stuff seriously and be like, okay, let's... Let's uh, do everything in the right order as fast as possible. Thank you for your time. Uh, I think it's great to hear 
more on the technical side. And I think we probably could have gotten a lot deeper on a lot of these things, you know, the runtime and everything and what you're working on there. But, you know, it's great to hear sort of um, more about the organization and what the world looks like. Hopefully, before long, we're, we're hearing from you on the other side of L2. So yeah. thank you very much. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening. For more, visit our webpage on the Boomer Web at www.orbisledger.news or find us on Twitter at The Orbis Ledger. And remember, Montezuma will always have his revenge. <laughs>